All right, all right. I almost said good morning, but good evening. How we doing? All right, there we go. Well, I, I like the red, white, and blue. Looking good, looking good. Hey, uh, as Oakley said, we are in week four. We're at the halftime of our Quarter Life Crisis series. And as she said earlier, if you haven't gotten a chance to listen to those, man, please go back. Because uh, they're kind of building on each one. And we started out with foundation, the foundation crisis. And, and looking at Matthew chapter 7, like, what, what are we going to build our life on? Because you are building your life. You're doing it right now. And so have you decided, have you even thought about, what, is, what am I actually building it on? All right, and so then we, then we just continued um, to this week, and I want to begin by bringing up kind of a rabbit trail that I took as I prepared this message. And that was, I asked, I'll get to you, you'll understand in a minute. Here's, what, here's the, the question that came to my mind. What are some of the craziest things that have happened that should be really obvious to us? All right? And so what I went to is I started to Google what are the craziest warning labels on products that we should be obvious, like an understanding of how we should use this product and how you should not use this product. Well, it didn't take long to come up with you know, a couple BuzzFeed articles or actually Forbes magazine did an entire article on, here's the, the lawsuits that led to this warning label. Because when you read these, you're like, how in the world could anyone, anyone think to do that with that product? First one was an iron. Not the ironing board, the iron. There's a warning on most irons that says, do not use while you are wearing the clothes. <laughs> True story. And you have to ask yourself, why is that there? Because someone thought, you know what, I don't have the time to take off the shirt, I'm just gonna go ahead and use my body as the ironing board. Some, some bright individual thought that was a good idea. There's another one that, you, maybe you're one of these people, I am not one of these people, but you have the, the windshield sunshield in your car. You know, like you, you pull it out, you put it on your, your dashboard so it doesn't crack and, and dry out. Well, on most of those sunshields, there's a warning that says, do not use while driving your car. <laughs> why? You know why? Because someone thought, you know what? I'm gonna try and drive this car when I can't see out the windshield. And so what we thought would be obvious is clearly not obvious. And then the last one, I mean, there, I had a whole list of them. One's a chainsaw that said, don't grab it by the wrong end. But this one, just because of my stage of life, I thought this was hilarious. It was a stroller. And on the warning label, it said, remove child before folding. <laughs> like, I know mom brain is a real thing, all right? I've seen it in action. But to fold up a stroller while the child is in it takes another level of, I won't say it, but... It should seem obvious, right? It should seem obvious like that. You don't do that with an iron. You don't do that with a stroller. You don't do that with a, a sunshield. And you don't, definitely don't do that with a chainsaw. You just don't. But here's the deal. Someone did. <laughs> That's why it's on the label. My favorite one. Here's my favorite one. Uh, I'll end with this one. But it was a T-shirt, you know, and the, like the tags on the back of your T-shirt has the washing instructions. You know, it's like wash with light colors on cold machine wash. And then there was a break. And then it said, 
And there's never a situation where it's so hot that you need to remove your shirt, you're not that guy. <laughs> Whoa, I'm like, I don't think a, a guy wrote that, right? But you know what, it's not as obvious. Some of you are like, it's obvious, don't. But we look at these things and we realize, you know what, the things that are obvious sometimes just aren't that obvious. And so here's why I tell you that. Some of those are hilarious, some of them are scary, um, but there's a reason for those instructions is because someone needs to hear it. Somebody, maybe not you, but somebody needed to hear it because sometimes in life, things are not that obvious that we think, ah, that's obvious. Case in point, what we're gonna talk about tonight. What brought us to this topic tonight was a poll that we took with you guys last fall. If you, if you were here last fall, we put out a, a little question and answer poll and we said, what, what are the topics that you would like to hear most about? And so we gave it about three or four days and we, we put it out on social and you guys voted. And uh, to, to know, like, I was shocked, to be honest. Because th the number one thing was not sex. It was not dating. It was not identity. It was not anxiety. The number one thing that y'all told us last fall that you would like to hear about is money. I know, that was my reaction. What? They wanna hear about money? And some of you are like, I picked the wrong night to come here. <laughs> but here's the deal. Money is one of those things that seems like, oh, we're good. I got my, I got my house in order, we, we don't need to talk about it. But here's the deal. When you look at scripture, it is obvious that God cares not about your money. He cares deeply about your heart that is connected to your money. Case in point, you want to take a guess at how many verses there are in the Bible that talk about money or how to use it? Anybody want to get, throw a guess? 400. 400. It's a good guess. Right? Think about it this way. In the Bible, there are 500 Bible verses pertaining to the topics of faith and prayer, each. Money, this guy back in the, in the 70s did a, did, did a survey before the internet. Can you imagine how long that would take? 2,350 verses talk about money. Way more than sex, way more than faith, way more than prayer. And it makes me wonder why. It's one of a couple of things. It's either God really wants our money, or two, he really, really, really cares about our heart that can so easily be taken by money. And as a pastor, and as a human being that has lived a little bit longer than you, it is number two, guaranteed. He loves you. First Peter says he cares for you. And so therefore God's word talks about money because God knows that our attitude towards money is an indication of where your heart is with God. Our wallets, our purses, our, our credit cards tell more about our hearts than we actually think about. It's not that obvious. So, tonight we're going to talk about the money crisis. And if, we're, if you've got your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to go back to the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. And if you were here four weeks ago, we, we were in Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. Right? We were talking about this, this idea of, of foundation. Where are you going to build your life? On, on the rock or on the sand? When the storms come, because they will come, where is your foundation built? 
And Jesus says that, hey, if it's built on the rock, me, Jesus, you will stay in the storm. And if you build it on sand, your house will fall down with a great crash. Now, the Sermon on the Mount, if you're not familiar, is three chapters, uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's, it's Jesus' longest recorded um, speech, pr- uh, um, message, whatever you want to call it. And what Jesus is doing on the Sermon on the Mount, we need to understand this, and we need to understand it really well, is that Jesus is laying out what his kingdom is like. All right, if you're here and you're not a believer, let me explain what, what we're talking about here. Um, John 3.16 says, um, if you believe in Jesus, right, that Jesus loved you, he said his only son for you, he died for you, and if you believe in him, you will have eternal life. All right, to, here's our mistake, is, is we take John 3.16 as an insurance policy that we sign up for, put it away, and when we die, we cash it in. And our faith becomes a transactional thing. I will reach out to you when I need you. When hail hits my car, I call my guy at State Farm. And that's the only time I talk to him. And for many of us, we grow up believing, well, it's a transactional thing. That, that Jesus just wants us to sign on a dotted line so that heaven will be more populous than right now, it doesn't really matter. But here's what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount. He's like, no, 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 I have come to set you free from the sin that has caught you, Luke chapter four. And he says, now I want you to come and see. I want you to follow me into my kingdom. He hasn't come just to give you an insurance policy. Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. And when he seeks and then when he saves, he says, you are with me now. You are in my kingdom. In Colossians chapter one, verse 13, it says that God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. You see, it's not a sign on the dotted line. It is a transfer kingdom situation. If you're, if you're into college sports, we're talking transfer portal on a cosmic level. But it wasn't dependent on you. He said, I'm going to do it for you. You can't. Your sin has separated you from me, and so I'm going to send my son for you to remove you from the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of Jesus. And so we're in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is talking about his kingdom. He's outlining a kingdom ethic for a kingdom people. Another way to say it, he's giving you the culture of his kingdom. And so when we think about money, he's about to lay down for us in chapter six, he talks about two times in chapter six, we're gonna look at the second time, about what is the kingdom ethic of money when we follow Jesus. When we are citizens of his kingdom, how do we think about money? And if you're anything like me, when I was your age, I didn't think about it one, one minute. I was just to be excited to make some money, right? Someone was finally paying me for my time instead of me paying them for their time. And so I was just excited to get a paycheck. Not one moment did I think, what should I do with this? How should I think about what I have now? Well, Jesus gets into it in verse 19. Let's read. Jesus says this, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Skip to verse 24. No one can serve two masters, since either one, either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. As I read these kind of texts and the words of Jesus, it always just jumps out to me like, why did he pick money? Like, he could have put a lot of things in there, right? He could, he could have said, you can't serve God and insert vice. Insert habit. Insert fear. Insert insecurity. He doesn't do that. He says, you cannot serve God and money. Here's why. Because money goes to the heart. Money is a heart issue. It is not an economic issue. It is a heart issue. And our heart can only serve one master. So let's get into this. My first point this morning comes from verse, or tonight, comes from 19 and 20. Here's the truth. You will store up treasures. That's my first point. You will store up treasures in something. You spend your time doing something. You spend your money buying something. You spend time thinking about something, right? You are going to store up something. Like, he, he gives us two people here, right? He says, you're either gonna store yourself on, on earthly treasures or heavenly treasures. treasures. The, the similarity is you will build up treasure. Another word to say it is you would, you're gonna gather up treasure. You're gonna gather it up. We make plans, we dream, we busy ourselves with something, we will be building our kingdom or we will be building God's kingdom. That's what Jesus is saying. We are either gonna gather up things for his kingdom or we're gonna gather up things to build our kingdom. My little tiny kingdom where what I say goes. We're gonna do one of the two. What we can't argue is like, no, I'm not gonna do that. No, you are. We are, I am, I'm building, I'm gathering up. So earthly treasures, what does that mean? Here's a quick definition of earthly treasures. It's self-centered use of material resources to meet our own temporary physical and emotional needs. Let me read that one more time slowly. Earthly treasures are self-centered, self-focused use of material resources to meet our own temporary physical and emotional needs. Can we just say that we build up earthly treasures because we want security and control? That's what we do. We want some sort of control over our life. We want some security that we're gonna be okay. And I'm not here tonight to tell you that those aren't legitimate feelings. They are legitimate feelings. Like what you're not gonna hear me say tonight is like money doesn't matter. You've probably heard it said that, that uh, money is a necessary evil. Scripture would disagree with that. Scriptures say it is necessary, but it leads to all kinds of evil. It's not evil, it's necessary. And so if it's necessary, we gotta figure out, what, am, I gonna, am I gonna store up earthly treasures that are focused on me? Will I live with a scarcity mentality? Because that's where we end up being. Like, it's, it's not a, I, I, I've rarely met somebody that's like super nefarious with their idea of money, like, oh, my money, you know, like I'm gonna... Mm. I got plans to destroy the world, like whatever. There are people like that, but I've never met them. What I've met is, but what if this happens? I need to be okay. 
What if this happens? Well, what if this, and what if this, and what if this? Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure that I find my security in my financial standing. Guys, what a time to have a talk on money, right? Gas is almost $5 a gallon. It is killing some of you. It's killing me. Groceries have gone up 14%. Life is getting expensive. And so we need to think through, what, how do we think about money? Are we gonna live with a scarcity mentality and say, you know what, I gotta take care of me? Or we say, you know what, I'm gonna trust God with my money. Because we're either building our kingdom to give us security, even though it's a false sense of security, or, and we trust ourselves with it, or we're gonna say, God, I trust you with it. And we're gonna gather up, we're gonna store up heavenly treasures. Here's the definition. A heavenly treasure is compa a compassionate use of material resources to meet others' physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. A compassionate use of material resources to meet others' physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. You see, here's the deal. Heavenly treasures are not just solely me-focused. And that is a very, very difficult thing to swallow. Because we live in a world that's all about me. I wanna be me, I wanna be the king of my kingdom. It's my money, I worked hard for it, I should do whatever I want with it. It's mine, right? You guys watch Fighting Nemo? Mine, 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 like that's what I think about. Like that's, that, that's, that's the way of our world, mine, 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 mine. I worked hard for it, I earned that job, I got the job, I work hard at that job, I do a good job, because I get that money, that's why that money's mine. Now let me take a sidebar here real quick. What I'm not saying is you can't go on vacation anymore, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you can't buy things for yourself if you need them. I'm not saying that. I think what Jesus is saying is, listen, you are going to store up treasures. Is it going to be focused on me and my kingdom, or is it going to be focused on God and his kingdom? Proverbs 23, 5, I love the wisdom here. It says this, cast but a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. I love it, it didn't say don't look at riches, it says cast a glance. Here's the deal, riches deserve a glance. Jesus deserves our gaze, all right? Follow me here, when, when, when we are gazing at, at, at money, that's what we worship. Our security, our control, our identity, whatever it is, when we gaze at something like that's that's the object of my of my heart. And the author of Proverbs says, listen, riches deserve a gaze. I mean a glance, just a quick glance. It's important, it's necessary. We can think about it, talk about it, plan for it, save. Those are wise things to do. But riches do not deserve our gaze. Hebrews 12, 2, fix our eyes on Jesus and his kingdom, the author and perfecter of our faith. Again, in Hebrews, one chapter later, in 13.5, the author says, keep your life free from the love of money. You see, guys, I'm gonna say it again, because you can't hear this enough. God doesn't need your money, right? He, he doesn't need it. He's able to do without. God is not poor being like, man, I wish I had a couple hundreds in my pocket. I could really get some stuff done. That's not where he's at. He's like, I'll do whatever I need to do. 
What he's concerned about is that money will get you. And so the author of Hebrews says, keep your life free. The opposite of free is enslaved. Keep your life free from the enslavement of money. Because it does, it will enslave us. We'll be thinking about it all the time in every decision, every day. Can I go out to eat? Can I go out this weekend? How much money is that gonna cost? Can I cover my bills? And all of a sudden, it becomes all-consuming because we're focused on it. Solely and completely. I think to have a healthy relationship with money, we must acknowledge that our default mode is to build our own kingdom, earthly treasures. But we are called to use the money God has provided to build God's kingdom, heavenly treasures. Verse 21, Matthew says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's my second point. Your life will follow your heart and your heart will follow your treasure. Your life, both today and eternity, will follow your heart and your heart will follow what you treasure. That word treasure is the Greek word thesoros, and it means the place in which good and precious things are collected, storing up. For where you are storing things up is where your heart will be also. And that word heart is the Greek word cardia, and it means, in essence, the center of your physical, it pumps blood, right, and the spiritual life. We would call it the soul. It is the essence of who you are. So for where you store up precious and good things, where you collect them, becomes the essence of who you are. And it will take you somewhere. So where does your treasure lie, is the question, right? Where's my treasure? What am I collecting? If you wanna have a real hard conversation about it, open up your credit card statement and start highlighting like purchases. 100% honesty, for me, it is eating out. Like, that is it. When I'm hungry, I buy food. If I have a hint of like, I might be hungry in a few minutes, I better go and buy some food. Right? Like, this is what we do. Instead of saying, you know what, I don't need that, I'm gonna say it's my money, I'm gonna do what I want with it. And so, I'm gonna say, I said this earlier, God knows that the attitude, our attitude toward money is an indication of where our heart is with him. So what is our attitude towards money? Let let me give you a few scenarios. Maybe you're the saver, right? Maybe you are the frugal, the stingy, and you're like, you know what? I know, I wanna I want make sure that we're good. I don't wanna be that person that overspends. I'm not gonna treat myself like I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be smart, and I'm gonna be mature, I'm gonna make wise choices. Well, great, good for you. That could be wise. Or on the other side of that coin, it could just mean that you don't trust God to provide for you and you want control. You are gonna provide the safety and that money will give you security. And so you find your security in money. Or maybe you're the spender, right? And that could mean that, man, money doesn't hold. I don't care, man. Money doesn't hold me. Let's go. Let's spend it. Here we go. Treat yourself. Treat your friend. Whatever. You, you're, like, you're that friend that we all love to have, by the way. 
It could mean that money doesn't hold you, but it could also mean that you find your comfort and importance in possessions, toys, and food, and instead of the Lord. That when you're uncomfortable or scared, that you go spend to distract yourself from actually leaning into, all right, God, what are you doing? Or maybe you're that person who's like, I'm really generous. I give 20%. Like, I'm sacrificially giving. You're not just spending, you're generous. Man, that could mean that you have a healthy and God-honoring relationship with money. Or it could mean that you actually worship what people think of you. And that there's a self-importance and a pride that you're feeding by giving money. And it's not really about giving it to the Lord, it's about you making good on yourself. They're like, I, I'm, I am the embodiment of what Jesus meant, right? It could be a huge pride issue. So here's the point, is that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a heart issue. Money is not about money, it is a heart issue. What does our heart do with money? Every single opportunity I gave. You could be a saver, that could be wise and a good choice. You could be a spender and that could be really wise. That could be like, hey, I don't want to control me. Or you could be generous. There's a good side to every coin. But there's also a flip side that says, ah, what's the motivation of the heart? What do I actually treasure? People's opinion of me? Do I actually treasure my own security? 1 Timothy 6.10, Paul says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Doesn't say it's evil. It says some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I don't know about you, but I, I, I've fit that bill before. I'm, I've been eager for money. Good Lord, I'm a pastor, of course. I mean, I could have I taken another job that paid a lot more money. I got a lot of kids, there's a lot of mouths to feed. Man, I could win the lottery, let's go. I need some of that money. That would make life easier. But I think that's the heart of what Paul is saying. When we're eager for money, there's a reason we're eager. Because we trust it too much. And we need it too much. It is a wonderful tool, but money is a terrible master. It's a great tool, it's a necessary tool. Don't hear me say quit your job and trust the Lord. No, don't do that. But he's given you a job. And with that comes money. Money isn't evil, it just leads to all kinds of evil. There's a guy named Agur. We always, you know, maybe you think Solomon wrote all the Proverbs, he did not. Proverbs 30, a guy named Agur, A-G-U-R said this. What a wonderful prayer to pray. Listen to this. He's talking to God, says, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread, what I need. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Oh, what a prayer. Talk about self-aware. He's like, God, I know, if you give me too much, I will walk away from you because I will find my security in the car, in the house, in the vacations. I will find my identity in those things. So please, Lord, do not give that to me. 
But he said, on the other hand, God, don't, don't, please protect me from being poor. Because the greatest treasure of his heart is to honor the name of God. The treasure of his heart is God. And so he sees his money through the eyes of what honors or dishonors the Lord. Well, forgetting him and walking away would dishonor him. And, and stealing and robbing me would dishonor him. So God, give me, just give me what I need. That's it. Just give me what I need. You see, we live in this mentality that if I, if I could just get a little bit more money, then everything would be better. If I could just get a little bit more money, my anxiety would drop. Newsflash. When we were in college, when, or I should say, when my wife was in college, I was out of college, we were dating. She house sat for this family in Nichols Hills. Huge house. We were like, sweet, oh wow, that's really cool. Got a pool. I'm like, all right, let's go swimming. You know, I'm, I'm like, I'm thinking this is gonna be fun. It was a miserable experience, here's why. The people that she was house sitting for were so concerned about their stuff that they were calling her all the time. How are things? What's going on? Anybody walking in front of the house? Is the car okay? Are you checking the doors? I mean, nonstop. They wouldn't even use a cell phone because they were afraid someone might tap it, hack it, and find their, their codes. They're like, no, we're using a landline. Like, what? Like, that moment, I'm like, God, thank you. Like, I don't want that. I don't want that kind of enslavement to things. They couldn't even enjoy their vacation because they were so concerned about their stuff. They were enslaved. And I think Agur gets it. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. His treasure was God. His greatest concern was dishonoring the name of the Lord because of money. What a radical change of how we think about money. To have a healthy relationship with money, we need to seek first to treasure God, the ultimate good, and his kingdom above building our own little kingdom. We need to seek first to treasure God and his goodness and his sovereignty and his kindness and his correction. Jesus says, listen, this is my kingdom and this is what we do in my kingdom. Matthew 6, 24, he finishes up with this famous little verse. If you've been in church, you've probably heard this a million times. No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Just like you are going to be storing up something, guess what? You, this is my third point. You will be serving either God or money. You will be serving. That is a guarantee. Jesus says, you are just gonna serve one thing or the other. It's not, a, it's not a matter of like, I'm not gonna serve anything. I'm gonna serve myself. No, you're not. Because in order to serve yourself, what do you gotta serve? Money. So Jesus says, you are going to do one or the other. You cannot serve both because it's a heart issue. Money is a heart issue. You see, there is a competition for your heart, for your soul. There's a competition. There is good and evil in this world. God's word says that our, our battle, our fight is not against flesh and blood, one another. It is against the, the evil powers of this world. The dominion of darkness is competing for your heart. There is an enemy and he hates you and he's come to steal and to kill and to destroy you. And one of the easiest and most simple ways to do that is capture your heart with money. 
because we will give it all for money. Our culture says you're a fool if you don't take the better job with more money. You're a fool if you don't. But here's my favorite, one of my favorite stories in all of scripture, Mark 10. Oakley mentioned it last week. It's about the rich young ruler. He asks Jesus a great question. How does one become saved? And Jesus says, you need basically, in my words, he says, you need to do the 10 commandments. You need to obey the law. And this guy says, I've done it. Every single one of them. And then Jesus says, so, okay. Then sell everything that you have, give it to the poor and follow me. I love Jesus, man. He is, he is confrontational 101, I love it. Some of you are like, no thank you. But I'm like, I love it. He cuts to the heart. He knows the guy can be obedient. He says, what's got your heart? He says, give everything away. Sell it all and give the proceeds to the poor and then follow me. Because you cannot serve God and money. And so we've gotta wrestle with this. We gotta figure out what are we serving? Who are we serving? And here's the end of the ending of that story. The young man, the rich young ruler, walked away sad. Walked away from Jesus. And it says because he had great wealth. No, 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 what a great play on words. He did not have great wealth. What, 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 what had him? Great wealth had him. And so he walked away from Jesus. You see, the treasure of his heart was money. Not salvation, not following Jesus, it was money. And what we see here is we, we start to see in scripture that this, these two competing ideas when it comes to money. Is that we are gonna either treat money like an owner or a steward. Ownership or stewardship. This is, this is, the world says you own it. You worked hard, you deserve it, it's yours. You own it. God's word paints a totally different picture saying you are a steward of what God has provided you. He's given you the talents that you have. He's given you life and breath and a brain and he's given you a wiring and he's given you certain capabilities that make you do that job really, really well. You didn't do it. You maybe crafted it. You studied it. You refined it, but he gave it to you. And he gives us our job. And with that job comes money. And so it's an ownership versus stewardship mentality. That mine, mine, mine is ownership. And to be honest, guys, I've struggled with this my whole life. Money, I struggle with it. I remember when I, when I first thought, thought this idea, like here's the questions, truly, these are the questions that came to my mind. Okay, should I tithe on my pre-tax number or my post-tax number? All right, should, should, I, should I tithe on like what I have, like once I buy everything that I need and want, and whatever I've left over and I feel like giving, should I, is that what I should do? Like I went back and forth, back and forth, right? Because this is my money. I should say what I do with my money. That's an ownership mentality. All right, here's Psalm 24, one says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. It's all his. It is all his. And that's a big shift in our head. It's a huge shift in our heart that that, that, that bank account of yours is what he has provided for you, all right? So ownership, owners own, they, they, this is the question they ask. What do I want to do with my money? 
That is the question that owners ask. What do I want to do with my money? Steward, a steward asks this, God, what would you have me do with the gifts you've given me? We steward it. Like, I wanna do a whole series on stewardship, not just money, because that's, that, that's, that's, we always talk about stewardship with money. I wanna talk about how do we steward our emotions? How do we handle the emotions God's given us in a way that's honoring to him? How do we steward our physical body and our sexuality? How do we steward that? Instead of what do I wanna do, what I feel like doing, God, what do you want me to do? What should I do with my body? What should I do with my emotions? Guys, we live in a world that is enslaved to their emotions. They're enslaved to their money. They're enslaved to their power. And Jesus says, I have come to set the captives free. And so money is not about money, it is a heart issue. Another question that we typically struggle with is, do I, do I trust God with my money? Can I, ask a, can I change that question? Instead of do I trust God with my money? And this may be a gut punch, it was for me. Here's a better question. Does God trust you with the money he has given you? Does he trust you with what he's given you? I've got small kids. I give them tiny little chores to figure out can they handle that. All of my kids want to drive the lawnmower. All right, all of them. If they're not old enough, they want to ride on it while I'm riding on it. And so I'm not just going to be like, hey, Nate, you're five and a half. Here are the keys, bro. Go have fun. I don't trust him. Like, that would be a terrible idea. And so sometimes I think with money, we need to change the question. If, we're gonna, if we believe that God is the one who gives good gifts, and he is the one that has provided, it's all his anyway, then it's a really good question to ask. Is the way that we think about, handle money, does God trust us with what he's given us? Because unless he can trust us to do well and honor him with what he's given us, he's gonna withhold giving us more. Listen to this. Luke 16, Jesus says this. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And I don't think he's talking about money. I think he says how you handle your money will have a direct correlation to the spiritual realm in your life. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, our talents, our money, our opportunities, if we can't be trusted with that, then why in the world would he trust us with what really matters? Makes me wonder, is, is there a part of money that is attached to personal and corporate revival? Is that maybe God's saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you this, let's see how you handle it. Because how you handle this will determine if you get to drive the riding lawnmower. Sounds like that to me. How we handle worldly wealth. Who will trust you with, what is tr with, with true riches? All we have to do is look at the widow in Luke 21. The woman who had nothing. Jesus says, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more than all the others when she put her money in. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty in all she had to live on. She trusted God 
with her money more than she trusted money. Money's a hard issue. And guys, I'm just gonna let you off the hook. I'm not, we're not taking an offering tonight. We're not gonna do it. <laughs> we never do. Because here's the deal, God doesn't want your money. He wants you. And unfortunately, what happens is money has us. And so he's more concerned about you that money has your heart instead of God having your heart. Jesus doesn't want your money. He doesn't need your money. Jesus doesn't want your money to get you. He doesn't want your money to get you. It matters how we think about money because where our treasure is is where our heart will be also. So what do we do with this tonight? I'm gonna give you four things as we close. Four things to think about, four things to pray about, four things maybe to talk to your community group about, four things to journal about, and when we do 120 seconds, I want you to pray about these things. Because if we just hear the words of Jesus and we don't actually think about it, let it marinate in our hearts and our minds, and we're just, we're just hitting clanging gongs, let's go party, right? So here's the first question I want you to ask yourself. What does my money say about the kingdom I'm focused on? What does my money say about the kingdom I'm building, right? Number two, I want you to replace the phrase, it's mine, with it's his. Psalm 24, one, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it are his. It is not mine, it's his. That stewardship mentality, God, what would you want me to do with the gifts you've given me? How do we steward that for our good and for his glory, to build his kingdom and not mine? Number three, another phrase I want you to replace, more money will solve my problems with I'm grateful for what I have. I'm grateful for what I have. We need to learn contentment like Paul writes in Philippians chapter four that I've learned to be content. He says I know what it is like to have much and I know what it is like to have little. And it's not something we just, we, we don't just turn it on. We don't just turn it on and be like all right, I'm gonna be content. Like that's not how we tick. We wake up default wanting more and more and more every day. So here's a tip. To help foster contentment and gratitude is spend less than you make. I know, shocking idea. Because here's the deal. When we spend more than we make, what we're saying is, God, you have not provided for me. I don't have enough. Which means I'm not content. And ultimately, I'm not grateful because I need more. To be okay, I need more. And so we need to replace more money will solve my problems with I am grateful for what I have. So maybe that means stop door dashing and paying three times for more than you need to. Maybe it means not buying a $7 drink every day. Maybe it needs things. I'm not gonna buy any clothes for myself for X amount of weeks. And just be content with what God has provided for you. And then lastly, you knew it was coming. Give it away. Give it away. 
Proverbs 3, 9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits, meaning the first and the best of all you produce. Right, that was a struggle I had. Like, do, do I post-tax, pre-tax? Is it after I buy everything I want? And then, no, no. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Second Corinthians 9, 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So if you can only give out of compulsion, stop. God does not need your money. Before you give, let God do work on your heart. Say, God, why do I feel like I have to do this? God, would you change my heart to want to do this? Hebrews 13, five, do not be taken by the love of money. And the easiest way to free your heart from the love of money is to give it away. Just give it away. God loves generosity because he is a generous God. He has not withheld even his only son from us. And so gathering young adults, I don't wanna just encourage you. Money is necessary. And yeah, you can worry about it. But ultimately, money is a hard issue. And so as you think about what are you doing with your money, how do you think about your money? Ask God to reveal your heart towards money. What are you hoping it will do for you? What are you wanting it to do for you? And then ask why. Why do I want it to do that for me? I'm not saying you can't go to a movie. I'm not saying you can't eat out. It's not what I'm saying at all. I'm not saying that you have to write a check right now, but what I am saying, and I, can, I feel more comfortable in this crowd saying this because a lot of you don't go to crossings, is if you are going to a church, you need to tithe to your church. Trust God to do more with your money than you can do with your money. That it would be a compassionate, hey, I'm gonna give this, God, would you use it to further and build your kingdom? because I'm limited in my ideas, in my apartment, in my house, in my life. God, would you do with it? Give it away. And the claws that it has on your heart will slowly be peeled off. Because you realize, I'm okay. I'm okay. I gave away some money. I'm okay. I didn't die. I gave some money more than I thought. I, like, I, I'm okay. I, I didn't get kicked out of my apartment. I'm okay. Peel off the clutches of money on our heart. That's what Jesus is teaching us here. Because in, in earlier in Matthew 6, finish with this. At the very beginning of chapter 6, verse 1 through like 7, he says, hey, when you give, it's not if you give, it's when you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. The hypocrites say, hey, look what I've done. They hold up the big check, get the picture, post it on social. He says, no, no. Do it in secret. For what you do in secret, your Father will reward you for. So guys, let's go be generous because God has been generous with us. He has taken care of you. He has redeemed you and he has saved you. He says, now come follow me in my kingdom and let's do it. Let's live life together and life to the full. Let's pray. Lord, I wanna thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word, Jesus, that, man, it, it hits close to home when we're talking about this stuff, Lord, but thank you for covering it. Thank you for not ignoring it. Thank you for over 2,000 times you brought it up. And so, Lord, 
to me, it means this is an obvious thing that we need to pay attention to. We may think it's no big deal, but it is a big deal because money captures our hearts, Lord. And so I pray, God, that for those in this room tonight, those watching online, God, that you would free us from an enslavement to money. Would you help us be wise and generous the way that you are wise and generous? Not for show, but because we are grateful for the way you have provided for us. We praise things in your name, amen.